In Philippians chapter number three, I want you to turn to last week's reading. If you were not here on um, Wednesday, or I'm sorry, Tuesday night this week, I encourage you to uh, get online and uh, listen to the teaching from Philippians chapter number three, uh, because I believe that uh, it would uh, give you insight into what the apostle is speaking to the church and to those that desire to grow in the Lord. We're going to begin reading in Philippians chapter 3 at verse number 7. This is from our reading for last week, and hopefully you can almost quote this by now because you've read it several times. And then we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Philippians 3, 7. And then I want to share with you also that at the end of uh, our our time of ministering the Word today, we're going to join together in remembering the Lord's Supper. Uh, It's also known as Communion. We're going to uh, partake of the bread, uh, the unleavened bread, and of the fruit of the vine to remember the death, uh, to remember the bloodshed and the broken body of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3 and 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but dung. That's, I don't count them of any value, but that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him. It goes from the knowledge of Christ to knowing him. I want you to notice here. It says the, uh, the knowledge of Christ, the, uh, the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He suffered the loss of all things and counted them of no value that he might know him. That's going beyond knowledge, and that's about relationship. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. Fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Verse number 20, the Apostle Paul at the end of this chapter lets us know what's going to happen ultimately. It says, for our conversation or our lifestyle is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul is saying here that our viewpoint or our life, our perspective is from heaven. Even though we're not in heaven yet, Paul wasn't speaking after he got to heaven. He says, right now, I'm looking at things from heaven's point of view where I know that God is going to subdue all things unto himself. But for your special focus and attention, I want you to look at the verse that says that I may know him. This was our uh, memorization verse for this week, that I may know him. In verse 10, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Praise God. In Hebrews 12, 2, says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. And today, for just a few moments, I want to speak on this subject, the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship of his suffering. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us today, Lord God. Let our minds, let our thoughts, let our attitudes, let our perspective be shaped today by the word of God. Let it impact us wherever we're coming from, whatever we've gone through this week, wherever our stage or frame of mind is, let the word of God impact it today in the next few moments. And then, Lord Jesus, as we remember your death, as we remember your resurrection this week, I pray, Lord God, that it would impact the life that we live right now in 2016. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would live our lives every day, number one, in light of the cross, and number two, in from the eyes of eternity and from the eyes of heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. We're instructed as preachers and teachers in the Word to uh, teach and preach the full counsel of the Word of God. That means we are supposed to talk about everything in the Word of God, all the sides, the uh, angles, and the perspective of what God is speaking to us. That means sometimes there ought to be messages that encourage us, and other times there ought to be messages that challenge us. And there ought to be words also that make us a little uncomfortable as we consider where we are, our life, what we're doing, and the call of God on our life. I know that in popular Christianity, it's almost become some kind of a consumer type thing of whose church is the most encouraging, the most exciting, and the most positive. And uh, much preaching is on the emphasis of the benefits and the blessings in serving God and being a part of the covenant. And we all love to hear an encouraging word about what we are going to receive as followers of Jesus Christ. But I think it's important for us to get the full picture of what it means to follow Jesus. In order to get the full picture of what it means to follow Jesus, you need to not only understand the benefits and the rewards and what we're going to receive, and we also need to look at the other side of the coin of what Jesus has called us to do when we decide to follow him. Amen? When you go to take a job, it's good to hear about all the benefits and the pay package and uh, you're going to get health benefits and your days off and so forth. But you need to look at the other side of the coin. You're going to have to get up in the morning and go to work, right? Amen? No, nobody's excited about that. It's Saturday, Pastor Brown. Don't talk about that. I came here to be encouraged. Amen. Both sides of the coin. The blessings, the benefits, but also the expectations. And so... This Sunday, we are turning our focus on the calling of God on our lives. This week is called the Week of the Passion. And I believe it's appropriate every year when this time rolls around that we consider what Jesus did for us. The sacrifice that he made for you and I on the cross of Calvary. And also consider the implications of the fact that we were called to follow him. To lose our life in him, in essence, uh, and to uh, take up our crosses and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And on Palm Sunday, I believe it's important for us to stop and remember. Everybody say remember. 
And in a moment, we're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where the Bible teaches us that when we eat the bread and when we drink the fruit of the vine, we do it in remembrance of Jesus Christ and in remembrance of his suffering and his death. So there's a time and a place to remember, to consider, and to discuss all different things, and this is the time and the place to talk about the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ sacrificed and suffered. Everybody say suffered. Jesus suffered for something he believed in. In John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And he said this signifying which death he would die. He said, when I get put on the cross, something about that experience is going to draw all men unto me. And I think it's interesting that uh, Jesus had to suffer before the drawing attraction would come. It would be through the suffering of Jesus Christ uh, that his purpose uh, would be realized. In Luke 24, 46, this is part of the Great Commission. We looked at the Great Commission a couple weeks ago. It says, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer. What does that mean? It, mean, it means that it was in his best interest to suffer. Think about that. Nobody ever thinks that it would be in your best interest to suffer. We typically don't think along those lines. But the Bible says here that Jesus said it was in my best interest to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day so that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus understood that nobody's sins could be washed away. Nobody could be forgiven unless he suffered on the cross uh, and rose again the third day. Jesus said it was in his best interest because of what it would produce uh, and what it would bring about. There was going to be a product uh, of his suffering. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, says, We preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, it's a stumbling block. Under the Greeks, they consider it foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, the cross of Jesus Christ is the place where the power of the New Testament church is forged. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.1, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. The apostle said, I'm not going to try to impress you or woo you with my psychological understanding of the tendencies and the nature of humanity and how to overcome difficulties. I decided to come and preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if you understand the profundity of his suffering on the cross, it's going to take care of everything because therein lies the power for whatever it is that ails you, whatever it is that you're struggling with, 
whatever difficulty you find yourself in. The power is in the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to remind Life Church of this today. The power is not in psychology. The power is not in philosophy. The power is not in a positive mental attitude. The positive is not in thinking yourself better through the midst of your trials. But the power is in the cross of Jesus Christ. The fact that he suffered, the church is in existence today. It behooved him. It was in his best interest to feel the pain, to suffer, to feel the shame so that the end result would be that the the church would be established and your life would be changed. I want to remind you, your life wasn't changed because of a book you read. You may have read a good book, that's great, but your life was changed through the cross. Your, Your life wasn't changed because of a message you heard. You might have heard a good message and it might have touched your heart, but you were changed through the power of the cross. I want to remind the church today that it was the blood of the spotless lamb shed through suffering on the cross that gives us hope of eternal life, but also enables us to face everything that we face and every trial that we go through. It behooved Christ. It behooved Christ to suffer. And when I talk about the cross, obviously I'm not talking about two pieces of wood or the Christian symbol or brand, but I'm talking about the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Next week as we celebrate Easter, we couldn't celebrate Easter without his suffering. When we pray people through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost and rejoice in the birth chamber as people are born again, there could be no fire baptism, no Pentecost without the cross. There would be no church without the cross. There would be no conversion without the cross. There would be no newness of life. I don't care how smooth somebody could speak without the cross because without the cross, you're still lost. Without the cross, you're still broken. Without the cross, you're still hopeless because the power comes from the suffering and the sacrifice that Jesus did for you and me on the cross. Can we put our hands together and give thanks to the Lord? Do we fully understand that? But I want to shift gears here and change the focus ever so slightly to what Jesus said to his followers in Matthew 16 and 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. This is a hard saying. We've heard it so many times it sounds angelic, beautiful, scriptural, textual, King James, English-ish. But the reality is Jesus saying, come follow me and die. Come and die with me. Take up your cross, a symbol of death, suffering, and shame. Follow me. If you lose your life for my sake, you gain eternal life. You gain all things. But if you protect and keep your life, you're going to lose eternal life and real value to the life that you live here. Come and die. Come suffer with me. 
Come suffer rejection. Come suffer ridicule. Amen. Come suffer shame with me. It doesn't really sound like a a, a very good promotional piece uh, for somebody to join your cause. Uh, But Jesus, who used to have multitudes that would follow him for the miracles and the loaves and the fishes, narrowed down the crowd when he said, come, take up your cross uh, and follow me. You may lose your life. Uh, You're going to lose the life that you were living. You're going to lose the life that you enjoyed. But if you lose it for my sake, the reality is that you will gain something so much more valuable. And I want to tell you that uh, today we see a lot of Christianity that's called Christianity, but it lacks the power. It's not just lacking in terms of miracles and signs and wonders, but there's real no conversion, really really no change, uh, no leaving behind the old and taking up the new because somewhere along the way we're forgetting to tell people what Jesus said and that is if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, uh, take up the cross uh, and follow me, be made conformable as Paul said unto the death of Jesus Christ uh, so that you could in fellowship of suffering in turn enjoy the power of his resurrection and be a part of the power of the kingdom of God and the power of what he has called us to do. So what does this mean when it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death? It really doesn't make sense to us. It really doesn't. Because um, most of us haven't experienced persecution for our faith. Most of us didn't lose our job when we started following Jesus. Most of us weren't rejected by our parents when we started following Jesus. But when you look into the New Testament, these people that begin to follow Jesus, we see a level of commitment and sacrifice that would shame us. Many of them were disfellowshipped by their family. Some of them lost their jobs. They were looked down on by the culture at large. There was much sacrifice, much passion, and much power in the New Testament church because they had the fellowship of the suffering with Christ and they ended up with the power that came along with us, with it. And we have generated, we have packaged, we, we have marketed a, a, a form of the gospel that subtracts any sacrifice. But when you subtract sacrifice, when you subtract suffering, you also subtract power and turn the ecclesia, the church, into a powerless little social club where you can gather together and say, yeah, we're on the same team because we're Jesus people. But no conversion, no conviction, no passion, no power, and no transformation of life. But I want to remind you today of the stock from which we were born, and that is a New Testament church that knew what it meant to suffer and experience sacrifice for Jesus Christ. In the New Testament church, they saw miracles and signs and wonders. But in the New Testament church, they were imprisoned, stoned, etc. And uh, in this idea of suffering, which is what the passion of Christ means, it means the suffering of Christ. This uh, word passion is also uh, stretched to where it also applies to the suffering and death of the Christian martyrs, not just Jesus himself. And according to tradition, all of the apostles of Jesus Christ died 
as martyrs except for one, John, who died of old age, natural death. All the rest of them were killed because they took up the cross and followed Jesus. The apostle Peter was crucified upside down. He took up his cross literally and followed Jesus. And then in the history, early history of the church, the early apostolic fathers, we hear many examples of stoning and crucifixion and people being burnt at the stake because of their faith in Jesus Christ. There were Christians who were fed to hungry lions at the Colosseum in Rome and the persecution of the church was the suffering and their fellowship with Christ suffering. And uh, But I want to tell you today that persecution didn't stop the church. Uh, in fact, uh, an ancient Christian writer said the blood of the martyrs uh, was the seed of the church. Uh, and persecution caused the church to grow and expand uh, and spread out. Because if they were persecuted in one city, some of them left and went to another city in order to escape persecution, but they took the gospel with them. And when they tried to stomp out the fire of the New Testament church, uh, as they stomped, it only spread the fire further throughout the known world and throughout the civilized world. Uh, The persecution, the suffering of the church did not stop the church. Uh, It emboldened and empowered the church. Praise God. And so today in 2016, I I have to admit that I'm grateful that I, I don't have to worry about being taken away from my family and thrown into prison because I proclaim the power of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful uh, that in our culture, for the most part, I, I, I cannot be discriminated against uh, for my career or education, or my children. Uh, and I, I'm thankful for the United States of America, and I hope it stays the way it's been. How many agree with me on that? The greatest nation on the earth. Uh, a nation where we have our freedoms and our ability to worship and serve God is protected. Uh, however, in the midst of that, we lose context about the idea of suffering and the fellowship of Christ's suffering. And uh, as a result, sometimes we get off base and we begin to focus only on the gifts and the benefits of serving God. And uh, we, whenever difficulty does set in, whenever we ex- do experience tough times, we're shocked. We're uh, wondering why, and sometimes uh, we lose our faith because we never, ever really fully understood that part of following Jesus includes uh, suffering. He said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God, which means you still live, but now your body belongs to Jesus Christ and your life belongs to his purpose. And today we are probably talking about maybe the least popular subject that I could preach about out of the 52 Sundays that we gather together at Life Church, the subject of suffering and sacrifice. And there's something in us that says anything but this, tell us about the miraculous power of faith. Tell us about uh, our forgiveness and the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Uh, But don't talk to us about the call that he put on us to follow him and to suffer if need be. But when you look into the New Testament, uh, it's a pretty common subject for us to never talk about it. He said, but if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Happy are ye. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. We like verse 13, right? Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, uh, which strengtheneth me. How many times have we preached about this? I can do all things through Christ, uh, which strengtheneth me. I, I, I can... Uh, uh, I can accomplish great things through Christ. I can go great places. I can uh, impact the world through the power of Jesus Christ. But if you look at the v- previous verse, you will find out that this is not talking about what you can accomplish. It's talking about what you can endure. Look at the verse before, verse 12. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I have learned that I can be blessed, but I can also be the one that's left with more month than I have money. Amen? I can can know what it's like for people to respect and honor me, but I can also know what it's like for my name to be besmirched for something I didn't even do. The Apostle Paul said, I can suffer with him. I can do all things uh, through Christ, uh, which strengtheneth me. And this concept, this theme, if you wanted me to, I could read another 10 or 15 verses uh, where the Apostle talks about the importance uh, of learning how to suffer with Christ uh, and suffer for Christ. Amen? Amen. Suffering. The fellowship of his suffering. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about suffering here today because for many people, human suffering in the world today is the greatest challenge to their faith. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, there are a lot of people that don't believe in God because they look at suffering in the world and they say, how can there be this much suffering in the world and there be an all-powerful God that loves us? How could he allow for suffering if God can and wants to abolish evil in the world then how come there's still evil in the world and we talk about human suffering many of you have seen the documentaries of the terrible suffering that's happened through history even in recent history in uh, many of the uh, human catastrophes that have happened in our previous the 20th century the Second World War, the Holocaust, various other genocides that have happened. When you look at these, when you watch these documentaries, when you hear the stories, and some of them are closer to home, terrible suffering that you see on the newsreels or stories of family members or friends. And many of you are here today and you have experienced the searing pain of suffering in your own life and it begs the question when you see the suffering when you see suffering on a mass scale when you see not just tens and dozens but hundreds and then thousands and even millions of people that were slaughtered and slain starved to death went through difficulty personal pain and mistreatment the question is where was God when all this was happening why didn't he stop it why doesn't he care Why didn't he help them? I'm sure somebody cried out to him. So this is a tough question, the question of suffering. Why is there 
suffering in the world today and why am I going through personal suffering in my life? Someone said of this that this is the number one question. This is the question mark that's turned into a fish hook that gets stuck in the human heart. If you could ask God one question, they asked young people in uh, surveys, if you had an opportunity to have an audience with God and you could ask him one question, what would that one question be? The number one response was this, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Does the presence of suffering mean the absence of God? Because that's what agnostics and atheists come to this conclusion. There can't be an all-powerful, loving God if there is suffering in the world. In order to really believe wholeheartedly in a loving and an omnipotent God, do I have to paper over the reality of pain around me and pretend like it doesn't happen to be able to trust that there is a God? I wonder if sometimes we forget how far God's ways are above our ways and how, how much higher his thoughts are than our thoughts. Amen? Could infinite wisdom, because we have limited wisdom. You may be pretty wise, but you have limited wisdom. But God has infinite wisdom. Could infinite wisdom tolerate short-range evils in order for more long-range goods that we can't even foresee? Is it possible that God in his infinite wisdom and in his foreknowledge could allow short-range evil in order for a more long-range good that we can't even understand. Now, would you agree with me that there's a pretty big difference between us and God? Amen? Let me use this example. This is in the, the book, The Case for Faith. I love this example. There's a pretty big difference between a human being and a bear, right? Could it be that the difference between us and God is equally as different as between us and a bear? You're like, this is weird. Where are we going, pastor? Could it be that his thoughts are so much higher than ours, just like our thoughts are higher than one of these animals? Let me give you an example. A bear is in the woods and gets caught in a trap. It can't get out. It's suffering pain. And so a hunter comes by. A hunter is a human being. He has a different way of thinking than a bear. He wants to help this bear because he's moved with compassion to help the bear. So he comes up to the bear. He does what he can to get the bear to trust him. The bear doesn't trust him. He wants to get him out of the trap. And so in order to get him out of the trap, he has to shoot him with drugs to get the, the bear to become sluggish. The bear doesn't know what's happening, assumes that it's an attack, and this person's trying to hurt me. And then as the bear begins to become sluggish and lose conscience, then when the hunter comes, and begins to try to deliver him from the trap, in order for the bear to be released from the trap, its limb has to go further into the trap to release the tension to bring the limb out of the trap. All the time, the hunter knows what he's doing. The hunter has good intentions for the bear, but the bear feels it's 
limb going in further and thinks this has got to be the enemy. It has to be sent to destroy me. Could it be that sometimes the things that we go through, the things that happen in our life, that God's ways are so far above our ways that we think it came as an enemy, but it came to help us. It came because there was a greater good that was down the road. And here we are with our little bear brains uh, trying to figure out what is this attack? Does God hate me? And could it be that it's from the perspective of God, it's obvious what he's doing. He's tried to get us to trust him. And the hunter, the bear could have chose to trust the hunter, but it didn't. And you could choose to trust God, but most of the times we don't. Uh, We see suffering, uh, we see pain, and we just assume that there can't be a compassionate and a loving God and us experience the suffering that we're going through. Mm. Could it be? Could it be that God's working on our behalf? God does the same things to us sometimes. We can't comprehend what's happening. We can't know what's taking place because we're not God. Just like the bear can't figure out what the hunter's doing because he's not human. You can't figure out what God's doing because you're not God. Amen? Amen? But we can trust God. We can learn to trust God and put our faith in him. Isn't it difficult sometimes to believe God, especially when you're going through a tough time? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's, it's tough sometimes. But you know, true faith can only exist where it's difficult to believe. Amen? Some of us want, well, if I'm going to believe in God, it's got to become so obvious to me. Well, it's not faith anymore, right? Do you believe that two plus two equals four? Anybody believe 2 plus 2 equals 4? I got seven people in this house (laughs) that believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4. We all believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? But it doesn't take faith to believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4 because it's scientifically established. All you have to do is take two little donut holes and add two more donut holes to them and count it up, and you got four. But putting faith in Jesus Christ requires faith. It requires a stretch. That means along the way there's going to be some evidence that looks like it works against the idea that there's a God. Or else it wouldn't be faith. But you can't take the evidence at face value. You've got to understand that God's ways are above our ways. And while there are evidences that seem to point against the reality of God, equally there are evidences that show us that there is a God. And you can find God. Not everybody's going to find him, but the Bible says, Seek and ye shall find. When you go looking for him, he leaves clues and you can find him. But not everybody's looking for him and not everybody's going to find him. There's plenty of evidence that you can use against the reality of God and plenty of evidence that you can use for the existence of God. But there requi- requires looking at things and understanding things that there is a different perspective coming from God. Amen. There's enough evidence that those who want him can have him and those that want out can get out. Amen. Praise God. So don't jump to conclusions. Seek God. Now, the issue is, is we, we, we know that it, there's an all-powerful, we believe that a, a God that's good, all-powerful, he exists, he's all-wise, but evil is still on the earth. There's still suffering. And sometimes when we think of all these things, it says one of these has to be false. 
or maybe we have a misunderstanding of it. God is all-powerful. But I want you to understand this, that God created humanity with a free will. When God created you and me, we get to choose if we're going to follow him or sin. Anybody believe that? That's the way it was in the garden. Adam and Eve got to decide because God made them with the opportunity to choose. So while God did not create evil, he, when he gave us a free will, created the possibility of evil. And so it was man's choice that became the source of evil as he was led astray by Satan. Here's an impossibility. It would be an impossibility to have a world where people have genuine freedom, yet no potential for sin. You can't have a world with human beings that are free moral agents and not have any sin. God could have created a world without freedom. If he had created us as robots, we could have a world without hate. We could have a world without suffering. We could also have a world without love. Love being the highest value. You can't have love unless you got a choice. You don't believe that? Let me pick your spouse for you. No, pastor, let me choose. I want to choose somebody that I love. All right. So what you're saying to me is the only way you can really love somebody is when you decide that's who I want. Without the opportunity to choose, there's no existence of love. There's not going to be any evil. There's not going to be any suffering. God could have created a utopia, but we wouldn't have had the opportunity to choose whether we were going to follow him or not. Anybody know where I'm going with this? Amen. So God created, when he gave us the free will, the potential for evil and suffering in the world. Now, the old belief system in the world is called paganism, the belief in many gods. And that belief was that evil is a result of many gods. Some of them are good dudes, and some of them are bad dudes. Some of the gods are helpful, some of the gods are vengeful. That's why bad things happen in the world. But according to the word of God and according to the divine revelation that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, so on and so forth, is that there is one God who is all-powerful and he is a good God. And the evil that is in the world today is a result of humanity's choices. We choose with our free will. We choose with our free will. And this opened the door to people choosing evil over God. And suffering is the result. The majority of pain in this world is caused by human choices. Amen? Choices. Choices to kill. Choices to slander. That comes from humanity. Choices to be selfish. Choices to stray sexually. Choices to be reckless. Choices to uh, break promises. All of these choices of humanity are what brings the resultant pain and suffering. My question today is, when God's thoughts are above our thoughts, is it possible that God could tolerate horrible things because he foresees in the long run people will be better off and happier than if he miraculously intervened? Am I above your heads now? 
Let me break it down to you. Is it possible that we're looking at something horrible and we're saying, if I was God, I would never let that happen. So there must not be a God. Is it possible that God can let horrible things happen because he knew that if he miraculously intervened, it'd be worse off in the long run, in the big picture, than if he let it play out. Could it be that his ways are above our ways? Well, if you don't think that that's possible, let me remind you of the worst day in human history. The most terrible thing that could ever happen would be that God himself would be stapled to a cross and die right in front of his creation. The worst possible event that could ever happen in human history would be that God, who was manifest in the flesh, would die right in the midst of his creation. Think about this with me right now. The worst thing that ever happened in the history of the world ended up resulting in the best thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. And I know we paint it with a veneer. It's so far removed from us time-wise that we can talk about the crucifixion of Jesus and it not impact us that deeply. But at the time, when these people saw this perfect, pure man that they loved deeply on a cross, his figure twisted on this rugged tree, none of those people that were there that day could see how anything good could ever come as a result of this tragedy. Are you with me right now? All their hopes were nailed to the cross. They had left their families and friends to follow him. And now he's gasping for his final breath. But in that day, I want to tell you, amen, that something very, very good resulted from that tragedy. So much so that Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. That Jesus said for the joy that was set before him, he was willing to endure the cross because he had a different perspective than the people that were around the cross had that day. He had a different perspective than his grieving mother and his grieving disciples. His perspective was this. I know that there's a greater good that this suffering is going to produce. And I understand that while everything inside of me wants to stop this, if I stop this, I also stop the greater good that's coming. I want to tell you that if ultimate evil can result in ultimate good, it can happen elsewhere even in your life. And we could see it at the cross, but sometimes in our life, we don't see what's happening, and we just have to trust God. I want to think about this. If you were the devil, and you were the enemy of God and his purpose, and you wanted to kill him, but you couldn't, and you found out that God had a weakness, he's got one weak spot, one place where I can attack him. But what would God's weakness be? Satan said. He created these human beings and fell in love with them. That's a weak spot for him. I can get at them. I can get at them and hold them hostage. I can corrupt mankind and I can drag them to hell with me. God's beloved. And so God sent prophets to enlighten the people of what Satan was doing and get them to turn back to God. So what did Satan do? He killed the prophets. And then God made the biggest mistake of all. He sent his own son 
to come to the earth and play by the rules of the earth. And so he said, I've got my chance. (laughs) I'm going to use my pawns. I've got soldiers and I've got Herod and I've got Pilate and I can use these uh, people that don't know what's happening to get the Son of God, uh, uh, God revealed or manifest in the flesh, crucified. And there he's hanging on the cross, forsaken by man, seemingly forsaken by God as he cries out, My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? And Satan no doubt felt triumphant and vindicated at that moment. But you and I know that he was totally wrong. What was happening there that day was the greatest thing that could ever happen for you and me. And this is not just some freak occurrence. This is the paradigm of our situation. When we get our feelings hurt. When we bleed, when we suffer, when we go through difficulty, maybe the same thing is happening. Maybe this is God's way of defeating the devil in our life and in the lives of our family and in our church. Disciples couldn't see anything good to come from this. And when we face struggles and trials and suffering, many times we can't imagine anything good that could come from this. But I want to tell you that God can take terrible things and turn it into good you know sometimes God allows things that we wouldn't allow we got to remember he's looking at things from a different perspective from a different angle than what we are amen amen uh, uh, you know some sometimes it'd be easier when I'm helping my daughter with with her homework and uh, Brooklyn and I are doing homework together I'm like Brooklyn go in the other room I'm just going to take care of this for you here and get it done <laughs> I can get it done in just a few minutes You know, but I realize that that's not in their best interest. Amen. That's not in my kids' best interest. Sometimes as parents, we want to put bubble wrap around our kids and protect them from any potential from harm. And I found one of the most brutal things you could do to your kids is not let them experience the consequences of their decisions. But parents do this all the time. They think they're being good to their kids. But the reality is the best thing you can do is let them experience a little bit of suffering. Hmm. And it seems big to them right then, doesn't it? Seems massive to them right then. Dad, help me. Dad, come bail me out of jail. Dad's like, no, you got in. You can spend the night in there. We'll talk tomorrow. And we understand that sometimes pain and struggle is good for our children because we have a higher vantage point. And we can sit back and watch our kids conquer things that they would never conquer if they didn't go through and experience pain. God's looking at our life from a different vantage point. And he's wise enough to foresee that we need pain for reasons that we may not understand, but he foresees this pain as necessary to some eventual good that's bigger than the little bit of pain that we're going through right now. Come on, somebody. There's one thing that these people have in common. Doctors, dentists, athletic trainers, teachers, and parents. They all know that sometimes to be good is not to be kind. Sometimes you have to create pain to fix something in terms of a greater good. And God allows suffering and sometimes deprives us of inferior good like pleasure to help us toward the greater good of becoming more moral. 
and having greater understanding. Our character is formed through hardships and overcoming obstacles and enduring difficult situations. And we learn from our mistakes and we learn from the suffering that comes from our mistakes. Amen. And we grow and mature through difficult and painful experiences. The point of your life isn't comfort. The point of your life is your life is eternity. And you're being trained and prepped for eternity. And even Jesus learned obedience through suffering. How much more should we learn obedience through suffering? Amen. Praise God. Now, I want to wrap this up here because I'm out of time. But the amazing thing about God is he looked at our suffering. He looked at our pain. He looked at our difficulty. And we see in in the New Testament when Jesus walked among men, it says he was moved with compassion. In the Old Testament, he heard the complaints and the groaning of those in bondage, and he was moved by it. And God saw our suffering, and to me, The most amazing thing about our God is not that he created the world, but that he entered right into the middle of our suffering. And he experienced every kind of suffering that you can imagine. All the suffering that we experience, the creator of the universe opted in to suffering. Now, you and I, we opt out of suffering at every turn. If I can skip the suffering, I'm going to skip the suffering. God knew what he was getting into and was manifest in the flesh and opted in, not just to a little bit of suffering, but the optimum of suffering. You know what he was doing? He was taking all pain, all suffering, all rejection, all sin, all failure, and he was consuming it at the cross, uh, drinking the cup down to the bottom, amen, and bearing our suffering on the cross. I think that's more amazing than him creating the earth, that the all-powerful God decided, I'm going to experience uh, suffering. I'm going to become a part of the suffering. And when people say, where was God? Where was God when the suffering was happening? I'll show you where he was. He was on the cross. (laughs) He, He took the pain. He took the suffering. He took the hurt. And the Apostle Paul said, there's something about going through suffering that creates fellowship with God. And nothing else can bring about. Because no matter how deep your suffering is, Corey Tenboom, some of you know that she was one, as a young girl, was taken from her family. Her family members were killed in the Holocaust. Uh, and, and she experienced the concentration camp, the harsh treatment. And she said, no matter how deep and dark you're suffering, God goes deeper. And he's right there. 
And this is the idea of the fellowship of his suffering. The apostle Paul said, if I'm going to experience the power, I've got to go through the suffering with him. But I've learned one thing, that I gain him through this, that I get to know him through this. There is an intimacy that's a result of the closeness of the fellowship that comes between me and God when I'm suffering because he's been there. Amen. And when I feel like I'm all alone, when I feel like nobody understands, when I feel like nobody cares, I remember a man dying on a cross, rejected by his friends and crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's there in your suffering. He's there in your pain. He struggled so that he could be there with you. And when you go through it, there's an intimacy and there's a closeness that we can realize that we will never realize outside of intimacy. Amen. St. Teresa said, in light of heaven, in light of where we're going, the worst suffering on earth and a life full of the most atrocious tortures on earth will be seen as no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Mm. The Apostle Paul said it this way, everything I have, all the suffering, all the joy, everything in this earth is of no value to me when I consider it in comparison to knowing Christ, to being in a relationship with him. It's all about the presence of God. There's something about being in the presence of the one that you loved. And the apostle Paul said, I'll lose it all to gain him because I fell over hills in love with Jesus Christ. And I realize that if I can get close to him through suffering, if I can experience the power through suffering, I want to get close to him. Amen. Because being with Jesus, being with Jesus is worth it all. I'm going to tell you, I love old T. Brown. That's Tamara. That's the pretty one up on the stage, the beautiful, the knockout, the gorgeous. The one that stole my heart many years ago, and she never gave it back. And I'm going to tell you one thing. I'd rather, I'd rather live in the slums with Tamara than live in luxury and be divorced. Because relationship and presence is what I'm after. The Apostle Paul said, it doesn't matter what this world has to offer. You can pile it on. But I'd rather be suffering with Christ. I'd rather be with him. Amen. I'd rather be with him. Because I've learned one thing. That I can suffer with him. I can experience blessing. I can get God's favor. I can go through rejection of man. I can do all things through Christ. But one thing's for sure. I've got to have him with me. So I'm taking up my cross and I'm following him. It may experience rejection. I may experience suffering. But I've made up my mind. I'm going to follow Jesus. Hallelujah. Would you lift your hands right now to the Lord all across this? But why don't we stand together right now and just lift our hands in a sign of surrender to him. Letting him know, Lord... I want you. I love you, Jesus. 
as I look at all the good things that have happened in my life and all the bad things that have happened in my life, all of them are a pile of dung in comparison to being able to have you and have a relationship with you. That's it. Lift up your hands and praise him right now. Come on, that's it. Let's lift up our hands and praise the Lord Jesus right now. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I adore you. Jesus, I magnify you. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 tell you today that the answer to suffering is very simple the answer to suffering is this the presence of Jesus the presence of Jesus I don't want to embarrass them but I want you guys to know how much I love brother and sister Ben they're just great people they're elders in our church and uh, they've been an inspiration to me and this last year some of you don't realize it's a tough year for you guys. It's difficult for Brother and Sister Ben. They went through a very, very dark time. But I watched them go through the darkest time that anybody could go through. And I watched their love for Jesus and their commitment to Him not waver. And I'm from the outside looking in and I'm saying, God, they didn't have any questions but in the meantime guess what the difference maker was Jesus is right there with them <laughs> suffering's universal sin's effect impacts everybody in the world but what's the answer the answer is the presence of Jesus and the, and the reality is my neighbors are suffering too uh, my neighbors that don't know Jesus go through difficult times too. But the difference is, I've got the comforter. <laughs> I've got Jesus with me. I've got the presence of the Lord. And I'm understanding that it's not just suffering, but there's a greater good that can result. Even though I may never understand it on this side of glory, on the other side, the curtain will be pulled back and I'll see that God had a plan. Right now, I'd like to ask for our, our ushers and